With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as uh, Dr. Sky, and he allows us on weekends to look up in the sky, dream a little, and what is up there, what's going on. Uh, Steve Cates, uh, give us an update uh, the our discussions for today. Well, John, good morning to you and the listeners. Happy Mother's Day to all mothers past and present. Just a little history on that. It was conceptualized back in 1870 by lyricist Julia Ward Howe, who many people may not know, wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And what do we know? 1914, Congress passes a bill. So happy Mother's Day, 109 years strong. But now, Is there John, a we song start... for Mother's Day? I don't remember hearing one. You know, I don't think there is. That's an interesting uh, question. I, I Somebody never heard has anything. to create one. Absolutely. But imagine that, John, 109 years of this tradition, but it goes globally. And then what do we do? We talk about things that are out in the deep cosmos. And we start off this beautiful Sunday morning with a story. How about this? Neutrinos hold the key to the dawn of time. Now, what's this whole thing? Well, John, when atomic nuclei come together like they do in the sun, the creation and fusion, they produce these neutrinos. What are they? They're powerful subatomic particles that pass through everything. And here's an amazing statement. About 100 trillion neutrinos pass through our bodies every second. Well, they don't harm us. They were created at the moment of the Big Bang. And this is a particle in nature that supposedly has no electric charge and maybe a small or no mass. But guess what else, John, was created at the same time, most physicists believe? Antimatter. That may have also been created at the time of the Big Bang. So what's antimatter? Think about this. You could pay off the federal deficit. If you had one gram worth of antimatter, some say, scientists say, that it's worth $62.5 trillion. But how do you capture it and contain it? It's not an energy source, but if two of those forces came together, like the antimatter particle and the matter particle, they produce this amazing explosive force, and that's putting it mildly. So aren't these things amazing that we find out in the universe? It's just totally well, yeah. mind-boggling. I, I, I like to meet the person that came up with the evaluation of $62 trillion. Maybe you could run my 401k plan. <laughs> there you go. But at least there's promise out there. But, you know, we talk about the mystery of the week, and here, here we have one that's kind of closer to home in the solar system. We find out now, John, that there's now evidence, at least from the astronomy side, Voyager 2, when it passed the planet Uranus back a long time ago, they're looking over old data, and now they claim that the seventh planet may have water ice underneath these different oceans, or underneath these different satellites, I should say, which may be water ice oceans underneath about four of these Uranian moons. Now, this brings up the big question. How do we know, or when did we know, that more likely water does exist in the, in the solar system? We find out that water's on the moon. We know a little bit about that, not free-flowing. Maybe underneath Mars, as you and I talk about. And then even these moons of Jupiter, you know, some of these icy moons. So what the point is, the mystery is, where did all this come from? How do we even take advantage of this for future space exploration? But isn't that amazing, John, that that water may be more prevalent in a hidden way in the solar system than we ever thought? Uh, you know, absolutely. It looks like water is every place. And, right. and the question is, is that one of the building blocks of life? It sure is. And people say and speculate on the UFO side that the reason that intelligent or so-called intelligent, you know, beings from other worlds, if they're out there, I think they probably are, and you and I both agree, the reason that they may have come toward the Earth is because they can detect that this is a water planet. What? 
a big percentage that we learned in grammar school, you know, over 75% of the earth is water. So it's interesting to note that there may be some way for future habitation if we can figure out how to drill into the surface of these objects and harvest the water, which is the precious commodity, as we know, the understatement of the year in sustaining life. So that's kind of really cool. And then, John, we always talk about what people can see in the sky. And here we go, really briefly. How about this? A different twist. I watch it out here in Arizona just about every other night. Two big spacecraft, the International Space Station, and now the Chinese have built this pretty massive space station called Tiangong. So how do you see it? So I recommend people go to this website. It's called heavens-above.com. You just plug in your city. And, you know, this is amazing, John. The ISS, the space station, it's been up in orbit for 8,225-plus days. That's amazing. And we find out that the first submarine officer, you know, from the United States Navy, is now on board this particular space station, along with, you know, six other individuals, Captain Stephen Bowen. But, John, if you look at the Chinese space station, I just watched it the other night. You can see it sailing across the sky. You don't need telescopes or binoculars. But this Tiangong has three people on board right now. They've been up there for over, imagine this, over 573 days. And the spacecraft's been up in orbit for 742 days. So China is moving very, very rapidly with big rocket power. Space station. Now, that thing was built, John, in just record time. It took us almost, what, 20-some years just to get to the size it is now. So these are things people can see. I don't know. Have you ever seen one of these spacecraft uh, ISS? I haven't, but I live in New York City where there's more smog or whatever you want yeah. to call it. Oh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't go to the roof of my apartment building to, to look up. And, uh, Understood. So many lights. But just to tell people, that space station, John, is actually so bright that even people in downtown New York, believe it or not, you could actually see that. It can be almost as bright as Venus. So there's a lot of hope out there. And like is, I say, is, there a, is there a website when you, you stick it up on, uh, onto the sky, it tells you where everything is? Well, there's many on there. On I your iPhone or something? Oh, absolutely. I don't particularly say, you know, there's so many of them. If people just Google in their Android or their, you know, iPhone and Apple, you know, apps, you'll find them. And some of them are good and some of them may not be so good. But here's the issue if you get technical on it. A lot of times if you're in the dark sky and you're holding up your phone to the sky, it's so bright that it kind of ruins your night vision for at least a while because it takes about an hour. If you're out in the darkness of sky, people don't want to see lights, of course, but people may not know this. It takes about an hour for your eye to get adapted to the dark if you're really in a dark location. But those apps are kind of cool. So there's so many of them that are out there. And we recommend, of course, John, going to WABCRadio.com for our Dr. Sky experience. Always great. Well, on a Saturday night, you yeah. can listen to Cousin Brucie, which is a great music. Oh, and absolutely. look at the sky and, and, and dream. Absolutely, John. That's what we do here. We open up people's minds and expand and kind of take away from the hustle and bustle, right, of the regular nine to five or the regular political world temporarily. And I appreciate being here with you and the listeners as we wish mothers past and present. The happiest and happiness. Happy Mother's, of Mother's Day, Day. Yes. You bet. Thank you, Steve Cates, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John.